Thank you, Josh. Miss Faye, thank you so very much. The strength of a healthy church is when the younger people know the importance of the older people. And likewise, when the older people know the importance of the younger people. That there's not a clash there, and that there is a strength there. Unfortunately, in so many churches today, neither side knows that strength, so they butt heads a lot. I'm thankful here at First Baptist Fairdale that we understand that. And one of the ways that you see it very clearly is through Miss Faith Fentress. She has undoubtedly read, studied, learned, taught the Bible more than all of us staff combined. <laughs> Truthfully, she has. That's not an exaggeration. And yet, she has loved us, encouraged us, built us up, made us feel like we were doing a good job, God was using us. And that's just a small glimpse of how wonderful you are, Miss Faye. We look up to you, admire you, and love you, and appreciate you. A few months ago, I was talking to my kids. All three of my sons have been through her Sunday school class, and I currently have one in her class now, Noah. Noah's seven and going into the second grade. And a couple months ago, I was asking my children who was their favorite person in the church. I don't know why I was asking them that. <laughs> and um, I was way off on who I would have guessed for them, for all of them, really. But when I asked Noah, my seven-year-old, who in many ways is our most uh, you know, hyper and loud of our five, I said to him, who's your favorite person in the church? And after he gave it some thought, he said, Miss Faye. Miss Faye, I can't tell you how much that means to me and to Val. You love him. You believe in Jesus. You believe the Bible. And it takes a lot of influence to impact a life. And I want you to know that's just one, one, one of, and Josh mentioned hundreds. That's just one. Ms. Faye, God has used you. To God be the glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we turn now to the book of Obadiah in our series in the Minor Prophets. And we pray that you would teach us. Father, our hearts are somewhat softened right now because of this special time with Miss Faye. And we pray that in our sensitivity that you would give us faith according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn the Bible to the book of Obadiah.
If you thought the Minor Prophet series so far was boring and dull and confusing and long and couldn't even find it in the Old Testament, well, today it gets even harder. Obadiah, it is a very, very small book. Matter of fact, this book is so small that it doesn't even have chapters. That's why in your bulletin it doesn't say one or one, one through something. It just says Obadiah because the book is so small there aren't chapters. There are only 21 verses. It hardly takes up a page in the Bible. We've been through Hosea. We've been through Joel. We've been through Amos. And now here we are at this one, Obadiah. We don't know a lot about many of these prophets, and we especially don't know much about Obadiah. As far as we can tell, this is the only thing that we know about him, that he was a prophet, the Lord gave him this message, and he declared it. That's it. We don't know anything else about him. Now, the name Obadiah is a very common name, and so you find it in the rest of the Old Testament, but it doesn't seem that it's this Obadiah that it's talking about. And because his name is a good one, it just means servant of the Lord. Obadiah means servant of the Lord. Because it means servant of the Lord, you can see that it, it could have been very common, right? It could have been something that you just called somebody. You could have called John servant of the Lord, right? You could have called him Obadiah if you wanted to because he was a servant of the Lord. And so we really don't know a lot here. Beyond that, it's short. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot of context. Really what we know is that it is addressed to Edom or the Edomites or, if you know the Old Testament, Esau and his family. Like God often changed names in, in the Old Testament, for God did that a lot. Abraham's name originally was Abram. And here's a big one. If you don't know this, you really need to know this one. Israel, his name used to be Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. That, that will clear up basically all the Old Testament once you understand that. The tribes of Israel are the sons of Israel, are the sons of Jacob. So you start reading the Bible in the beginning, you quickly get to... Uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had a bunch of sons. God changed his name to Israel. The sons of Jacob are the tribes of Israel. And that clears up a lot. Well, Jacob had a brother named Esau. They were twins. And they were even against each other from the womb, the Bible says. You probably know that story. And Esau did not get the blessing of God. He had the birthright, but he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob. So Jacob is the one that the, the line would go through. And from that moment on and, and always, Esau was against his brother Jacob. This is important. Esau was against and jealous, even hating his brother Jacob, and you know that hatred for a brother is a bad thing. Family strife is a bad thing. It is evil and it is sin, and ultimately it is against the Lord. Well, as Esau grew up and had children and went on, his clan became very big. And by the time you get to chapters uh, 26 of Genesis, you have God explaining that Esau's family is big. And God changed his name to Edom. Esau is Edom. And the Edomites, or the clan of Edom, are basically the descendants of Esau, those that have been against Jacob, who God has his blessings on. So what Obadiah is, is a message now to the Edomites of judgment 
and condemnation that God is going to destroy them because they still oppose God's people. And to oppose God's people is to oppose God. It's a short book in many ways. It is a sad book. It is a heavy book. Mark Dever writes that Obadiah appears to be the only book in the Bible written primarily to unbelievers. Now, we know that the Bible is from God. He's given it to us. He's given it to his people that we would know him and read it. But when you talk about this book or this prophecy being directed to the Edomites, the whole of it, all 21 verses, is a message to the Edomites which oppose God and his people. So that's what we mean. There is very little in this book that offers hope. The book of Obadiah is not quoted in the New Testament. It's not. But it is from God. It is the holy word of God. It is the inspired scripture. We are students of this. We do believe this. We do totally understand, and you will see today, that God has purpose in this. We will get the gospel from this. We will look to Jesus from this. And so here we are at the book of Obadiah. In the history of the Old Testament, in 587 B.C., Babylon, okay, The pagan nation Babylon attacked Jerusalem, overtook it, it fell, and the Edomites, who were right there, their neighbors, did nothing to help. They even rejoiced. They even contributed. And as God's people fled from the attack from the Babylonians, they had to flee into Edom, and they did not help. Matter of fact, as you'll see here in Obadiah, they rejoiced at God's people fleeing from destruction, and they just jumped on and kept killing and kept attacking them. It was that bad. Let me remind you that it's distant family. This is Edom, Esau, his brother Jacob. Jacob flees, Edom jumps on them to hurt them even more. That's what Obadiah is speaking into. Sometimes when people come to a book like this, though, they they immediately say, uh, you know, well, God shouldn't be that way, or God's not like that. I I need something positive. That's what I came here for, and and I, I get that. And we're going to see what God means in this, and it will certainly be positive. But if that's only the way you can think, then you are constantly turning away from the reality of things. My life and your lives and our world and my world and your world is full of disappointment and shame and bad things and things that need to be addressed. And I realize a lot of times we might should ignore things. There's also a lot of times where, hey, something needs to be said about that. Something needs to be done about this. And so we have here in the book of Obadiah a message from God to Edom about what God says about their continual rejecting of God and his people. Let's start reading in Obadiah. 
the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. That's what this little book is about. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. Here's why, verse 3. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? There are a lot of reasons why the Edomites didn't like the people of God, but at the very center of it, was their pride. I'm going to give you three points today, and the first one is pride is sin. And sin is against God. And God hates sin, therefore God hates pride. Number one, pride is sin. You know, you've got all of that history in the Old Testament. You've got the history of Jacob and Esau. You've got the, the history of nations clashing. You've got all of that sort of stuff. And yet here at verse 3 in Obadiah, God sends a message to Edom saying, I will go against you. I will make you small. I will rise up battle. You will be utterly despised. Here's why, verse 3, the pride of your heart has deceived you. You say in your heart, verse, end of verse 3, who will bring me down? Folks, we are a prideful people. They were a prideful nation. The Edomites were never really that big. Their nation was not that big. Their numbers were not that big. And yet, they stayed hard-hearted against God and God's people. They were annually, continually, perpetually against God. God. And yet, even today, with all of our excuses and yet with all of our um, reasoning, we also often are prideful. And pride is when our hearts get us going against God. Now, pride will lead us in a lot of directions. Sometimes we are so depressed, yet in our pride we won't seek help. And sometimes we are so proud of ourselves that we will not look to God. And there is a thousand other spots on the spectrum in between those two. But our hearts can become so prideful that the one thing that we won't do is look to God. In the book of Obadiah, it is, it is Edom's pride that God has addressed and he is opposing. He is angry with them and now he is going to destroy them because they are so prideful. I want to ask you about your pride. I want to ask you if you have dealt with your pride and are you prideful and do you see it as a challenge? John Stott writes that every stage of our Christian development and in every sphere of our Christian discipleship, pride is our greatest enemy and humility is our greatest friend. Pride will keep you from being the man or woman that God intends you to be. Pride very well may be the problem with inside your marriage and with inside your home. 
An apology needs to be said, but we're too prideful to do it. An extension needs to be made, but we're too prideful to do it. Turning to God, bowing our knee, walking an aisle, saying a prayer, confessing a sin, admitting our helplessness, admitting our need, is the very next step for so many of us. It is the step to freedom, the step to liberty, the step to peace and joy and all of that. But for some reason, the pride in our heart will say, no, I'm not going to, I don't want to, I don't have to, I don't need to, I'll figure it out, we'll be all right, I'll be okay, it's not that bad, and it all is pride. And God writes Obadiah for us to show us how he is going to deal with pride. Pride is a huge topic in the book of Proverbs. If you don't read the Proverbs, I would encourage you to. You will learn almost daily how God feels about pride. I want to read some of these to you. Pride comes before the fall. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate, God says. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Proverbs go on and on about this. All those who are arrogant are an abomination to the Lord. Be assured that they will not go unpunished. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. Do you see persons who are proud and wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for fools than for them. The Bible addresses our pride and speaks to it often. God wants us to know that our pride often gets in the way, that our pride is our problem. And in Obadiah, this is what he's addressing with Edom. Think about this. An entire nation, neighboring Israel, southern kingdom Judah, right there, all that they know is God and what God has done and his history. They are, they are their relatives. And we have a book here in our Old Testament, Obadiah, capturing so much of the story that we know from Genesis where God sends a very short message to them saying, I am going to destroy you, every bit of you. Why? Why would he do that? The pride in their hearts has deceived them, Obadiah. They think a lot of things. We know some of the things they think. We know they're still mad at Jacob over, over the history that he got the blessing, among many other things. There are also many things we don't know, but what we do know of them is that they think they don't need God. They don't have to surrender to God. They don't have to seek the Lord. They don't have to do what Amos just said in Amos 5. We studied the last couple of weeks. Seek me and live is God's message. They don't think that's what they need. They are prideful. And so it is with the world that we live in. Some people think this is the answer to life, and some people think this is the answer to life. And if you look around, you can see, judging this world, that we're all over the place on what we think is the answer to life. But one thing we are 
often agreed on in our world is that God can't be the solution. And so while these people over here think that's the answer, these people over here think that's the answer, they are very much so united in that God and his holy, loving book that he gave to us that shows us where life is found cannot be it. And folks, listen, this is the same thing as the Edomites, regardless of what they think and why they think, the very heart of it is the pride in their hearts that says God can't be the answer. This is prideful. One preacher says, if you are offended... By the idea that pride is your greatest enemy, consider what other things offend you. If you were more humble, you would find fewer things that offend you. You know, there are many of us, as you know, and, and many people in our lives, who, who you know, you are constantly on eggshells around them. One, one, one bad move, one bad uh, comment, one bad thought, and they're going to judge you right and left. I'm that way with some of you all. Some of you all are seriously one bad move away from leaving the church, giving up, being mad, running this person down, bad-mouthing that school, this neighborhood, or that. There's a problem here, there's a problem there. You can't deal with this, you can't do Everything offends you. If there's a line at the bank, you're going to blow up on somebody. If Dairy Queen takes too long, you're going to run them down. If the boy's pants are sagging, you know, you're going to get on that. And everything offends you. Can you stop? Can you look around for one second and realize you offend yourself most, but you're so prideful you won't admit it? You're mad at you, but you won't admit it, so now you're mad at everybody else. We've said it a lot. If everybody else is the problem, keep looking. You're probably the problem. And not you that everything's wrong with. You don't go get depressed. Hear the message of God to Edom. It's not that everything about you is bad. Matter of fact, we love you. We really wish you weren't that way. And we want to kind of deal with you in talking about that, but you're such a cannon ready to blow up on us that we are scared to bring it up. What we want you to see is the pride in your heart. You're hard to address. Everybody knows it, but we can't bring it up. Edom so prideful. He goes on, he says, if you were more humble, you would find fewer things that offend you. If you knew what you deserve because of your sins and how merciful God has been to you in Christ, then there would be less cause to take offense when someone treats you far better than your sins deserve. That's true for us as individuals, and that's true for us as a church. May our churches never forget that we are utterly dependent on God. We need God, folks. All of us need God. And our pride will spin us in this direction or spin us in that direction, but it will not lead us to God. We need to run from our pride, bow our knee to our pride, confess our sins. Nobody can actually prove it, but it has long been told that the lead captain of that great ship, the Titanic, said... This boat is so powerful, nothing can sink this boat, not even God. I don't know if you've heard that before. But all of you know that the Titanic sunk. And the captain is quoted to have said, God can't sink this ship. How prideful must you be? How prideful are you? When I was waiting tables, many of y'all remember that when I 
moved here. I was single, and my job was to wait tables while I was in seminary, and I loved doing it and had a great time with it. And in an amazing turn of events, I was waiting tables one day for this man who, uh, as he was starting to pay, pays cash, and as he was handing me $200 bills, right before he handed them to me, he ripped them both in half. And I was like, whoa, what, what are you doing? He said, well, here, why don't you take these two halves? I won't pay for my meal with this. I'm just going to give it to you. Why don't you take these two halves of the $100 bills? I'll keep the other two, and I've got something I'd like for you to do for me. He said, you see, I got this brand new cell phone, and I've got all of my contacts in my little black book, and I need to get them into my cell phone, and I just can't do it. You young people probably know how to do that better than me. I said, yeah. He said, well, why don't you take these two halves of $100 bills, get all the names in there, take it over the weekend, and we'll meet back on Monday, and I'll give you the other two halves. I said, who are you? And why are you acting like this? He said, what? I said, you're going to let me take your little black book and your brand new phone and these two halves all weekend? You don't know me. He said, yeah, but if you have to wait tables to make money, I'm sure you'd like $200. I said, you're right. I said, how do I know that I can trust you? True story. He pulls out his car keys and lays them on the table. It's a brand new Ferrari. I said, you don't have a Ferrari. He said, it's sitting right out there. Matter of fact, I'm ready to go. Why don't you pull it up for me? I said, I can't while I'm working. I'm in uniform and all that. He said, well, you got my phone. You got my phone book. You've got everything. Give me a call whenever you want to. I'll let you drive a Ferrari around Louisville. He did. I did drive it around Louisville. I entered the names in the phone for him. I met up with him a couple days later, got to drive his Ferrari. He gave me not the other two halves. He just gave me two new $100 bills. Who knows what he did with the torn up ones. Long story short, we became friends, started somewhat hanging out together, not a lot. He was an older gentleman. One day he had me downtown in his high-rise office looking, overlooking the Ohio River and the waterfront and all of that. And he was showing me just all of his amazing things, watch collection, pen collection, and I'm not really into any of those things, but I was amazed at how wealthy he was and his willingness to show it off. He showed me pictures of all of my heroes, of him with them, like Michael Jordan and Muhammad Ali. He hangs out with them. And when my mind was totally not thinking about anything good, really just worldly materialism, in his office one day he turned to me and tears were running down his face. I was like 24, 25, and he was in his 60s. And we're looking at all this accumulation of wealth, and he says, Josh, tears running down his face. I'm shocked now. He says, Josh, why can't I be happy? He said, You wait tables for money, you're still in school and you're happier than I am. Y'all, I didn't know what to say. I was so taken back by the whole moment and by the power of the Holy Spirit with about a minute of hesitation, I said, you're not going to be happy until you turn to Jesus. There are a lot of things that we think will make us happy. But in the end, they do not. You need God. I've never forgotten that. He has since passed away. He was a very successful man here in Louisville. 
I met him, oddly enough, through waiting tables at a restaurant here in Louisville. Became friends with him. He sent Val and I a very nice gift for our wedding. He has since passed away. But he was one of the most successful men that I've ever known. And yet his pride had him thinking anything but God. Anything but God. I don't know whether he eventually turned to God or not. But I want you to know what I learned that day and what God is teaching us now, what Edom needs to learn, that if you will not address the pride in your heart, and if you are too prideful to turn your life to God and surrender, then you are in trouble. You are in danger. If you say things like, who will bring me down to the ground? Verse 4, let's keep going. Verse 4 says, though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. I don't know how healthy you are or how wealthy you are or how strong you are or how great you think you are. Regardless of how high you are in life right now, you're not higher than God. You are certainly not bigger or stronger than him. He can and will bring you down when it is his time. And this is what he is telling Edom. Verse 5 says, If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed... Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by the slaughter. God gets detailed here in his message to them. And not just detailed, I want to show you this. In verse 8, he says he will destroy the wise men. It's not the foolish ones that are bringing them down. Pride, from a, to a worldly person, pride is recognized in those who just don't know how to do life well. To God, pride is recognized in those who are best at life without God. Verse 8, he says, I will destroy your wise men. Verse 9, he says, I will destroy your mighty men. Folks, so often in our families and in our communities and in our world, it is not those who aren't that good at life or who are are ignorant or who are in poverty. They are not the ones who are bringing us down. I know you don't like this message, but God is addressing Edom and their pride, and he's not saying it's the poor and uneducated that are the problem. He's saying it is the mighty and it is the wise that I will address. They will not sustain you. And so God is ready to deal with them. Folks, pride is sin and God wants us to know it. The Proverbs say it every single chapter. Edom was so prideful in their heart that they would not turn to God. They would not turn back to God. And so now God is dealing with it. Number one, pride is sin. But number two, there are patterns of sinful pride. Now, this so much is not found directly in Obadiah, but when you think about Obadiah, you get it. It's not found so much here, but when you think about the Edomites and who they are, where they came from, their patterns of pride, here's what I mean. The Edomites began 
as the brother of Jacob hating Jacob. If you, if you, if you get to studying, you've got chapter 25 of Genesis, Jacob and Esau are born. In chapter 25, Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. In chapter 27 of Genesis, Isaac the father blesses Jacob. He does not bless Esau. Esau then is upset about this. He hates Jacob and he begins to plan to kill Jacob, very much so there in Genesis. And now here we are many, many, many years later, and it's the same way. It's the same way. Those guys died years and years ago. We're generations ahead, and it's still the exact same concept that the Edomites or the people of Esau hate the people of Jacob. And eventually somebody, I'm sure the grandkids, hopefully somebody says, it's been this way forever. There are patterns of sin, aren't there? Something is wrong and sinful and you go a couple generations later, a couple decades later, and you're like, still going on? This is still an issue? Is anybody going to change it? Anybody going to stand up and say, this is wrong. We should not be this way. They should not be this way. Something needs to give. Something needs to change. It's fascinating that when you read Obadiah, you've got Esau hating Jacob. Well, 25 chapters into the beginning of the Bible, you see Esau hating Jacob. How is this continuing on? And you start thinking about that and you think, well, that is often how pride is. That's how sin works. Now you see it Small scale sometimes, if a dad raises a boy to hate Duke, then by the time he grows up, he hates Duke. But you also see it sometimes when a dad raises his boy to hate foreigners, and so the boy grows up to hate foreigners. So then his boy grows up to hate foreigners. Patterns of pride are seen. I'm not talking about any one example now. I could honestly think of some 15 or 20 of them. But I've been playing ball before, baseball or basketball or cornhole, and seen somebody lose their cool so bad and start yelling and fighting. I've seen punches thrown in ball games. I've seen ejections and F-words fly at church league ball games. If you get around sports long enough, you see some ugliness, don't you? And you know what I've heard too many times? Oh, yeah, man, he's a hothead. But hey, his dad was just like that. His dad was just like that. Folks, that's a shame. If you're a hot-headed dad, hit your knees and beg your son to change. Let him know that pride is not the way of God. If there are flaws in your life, which there are in all of those, by the mercy of God and the prayers that we can offer and the Holy Spirit working in us, may it not be the case for our children. 
If Fairdale has its issues in 1960, they should not be here in 2000. If your family had its issues in 1960, they should not be here still if you will step up and recognize pride is killing us. We still act the same way. And granddad was that way, and dad was that way, and now he's this way. And just give it some time when these kids grow up, they'll be that way too. That is sad. Now, if it's good characteristics, praise the Lord. If they're giving and loving and gracious and all of that, may it continue for a million generations. But I read Obadiah, and I see that Esau hates Jacob, and I'm like, what? Of course, we know Romans 9 talks about that, so it jumps into mind right away. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated, comes from Romans 9. But then you reflect back, this is the beginning of the Bible. Why is this still going on? Does your family fight at dinner time and everybody gets upset and blow up so what you thought was going to be a nice dinner now isn't and some people eat in the basement, some people eat in the garage and some people go outside to smoke and some people sit and watch TV and eat dinner? Is that how it goes? And has it been that way now for a long time? Is that the way it was last year and so that's the way it's going to be now? Can somebody stop that? And I want to speak to the men because I know that moms are amazing and they're always trying to fix things. Can you men change it? Can you step up and say, listen, it's been this way too long, and I don't know what's right, but this ain't it. And there's pride hurting us. We're not going to start tonight because we're all too frustrated. But starting tomorrow, we're going to sit here. We're going to say what we're thankful for. We're going to let our pride go. There are patterns of sinful pride in our lives, and it's just not that of God. I hate it when I hear, when I see a negative in a guy or a girl, and somebody says, his dad's the same way. And it's not just hot-headed, y'all. Sometimes it's lazy. Sometimes it's lazy. Sometimes it's, well, he's never going to speak up about it. He's never going to say anything. And now somebody else is in the same direction, and nobody's going to say anything. There's these patterns of pride. Y'all, God has made us to make a difference. I've been reading the Proverbs, learning all this pride. And you know what I also see? You know what I also see in the Proverbs? Almost like every chapter saying, My son, do not forget my teaching. Chapter two, my son, do not forget my teaching. Chapter three, my son, do not forget my teaching. Chapter four, my son, do not forget my teaching. Over and over and over and over again. Stop being that way. Son, I want to tell you something. When I was your age, I was a scared to pray. I wanted to pray, but I was scared to pray. And I don't want you growing up that way too. We find ourselves at dinner. We know we should pray, but I'm too scared to pray. Listen, we're going to learn to pray. I could give a thousand examples, but you know what I'm saying. Pride is sinful. There are patterns of pride that just keep going on. Obadiah is about Esau hating Jacob. That had been going on for so long. What if somewhere along the line? Somebody in Edom had said. Why do we hate them? What if we helped them? What if we helped them? Don't let the patterns of pride continue in your lives. Lastly, the power of God over pride. You have to read Obadiah closely to get this. Jump down to verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. 
As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. He's still going to punish them. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. That's pretty dark, isn't it? You see that? Their pride, in verse 3, their pride has deceived them. They will not turn to God. At verse 18, God says there will be no survivor for the house of Esau. Verse 19, those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of the the exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Look at this, last verse. In so many ways, y'all, this is all we got. Look here. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. It never looked like Edom would turn to God. They were so prideful, they refused to look to God. Yet God sends them a message that says, in the end, Edom will be God's kingdom. This is the truest truth that I can tell you all. There will be a day, soon but who knows when, when God's kingdom will cover all the earth. Now it won't be this one, he's going to set up a new one. God's kingdom will cover all the earth. And you and everybody you know will bow your knee to him. You will confess him, Lord of lords, king of kings you can humble yourself in your pride and say God I want you to be my father I want to be your child forgive me of my sins I know you love me and you sent Jesus you're not this conquering God to me you sent Jesus to me to change my life to give me this perspective to break down my pride but for all of those like Edom who will never do that they will learn that the hard way through God's judgment to be punished by God forever. It will be God's kingdom like Obadiah tells Edom. May it not be the case for us. We need to understand this verse in truth. God wins. God will reign. He is king. He is Lord. That Jesus is the way, not your prideful, selfish way of life. In James chapter 4, he there speaks of pride as well. Listen to what he says in James 4, 6 through 8. But God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud. Again, he is against the proud. You see this in Obadiah. He's against Edom because of their pride. God opposes the proud. But God gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. This is the opposite of pride. 
Pride says, I'm going to do it somehow without God. Yet humility says, no, I need God for my life. I need God for my sins. I need God. That's the opposite of pride is turning to God. The opposite of pride is not trying to be humble without God. That's still prideful as can be. One pastor says this. One form of unbelief that we need to talk about is the unbelief of a haughty spirit or pride. There's a very close relationship between unbelief and pride. Here is how I would describe that relationship. Unbelief is a turning away from Jesus or God in order to seek satisfaction in other things. Pride is a turning away from God specifically to take satisfaction in self. He goes on. The opposite of pride is here submitting here is submitting to God and drawing near to God. Pride, listen to me, wants to be independent, self-governing, autonomous. Therefore, it inevitably comes into conflict with God. I love it last week that in Amos we learned that the message brings a confrontation. Do you remember that last week? The confrontation will bring restoration if you turn from your pride. He says it inevitably comes into conflict with God. This, listen, and this is going to hit home with a lot of people, this is why people do not love to submit to God's teachings who are that way, stay as far away from God as they can. If they come to church and they hear God confront their lifestyle, they will go away and not come back because they enjoy calling the shots themselves. They enjoy pulling their own strings. But James says that such people should stop running and draw near. They should stop rebelling and submit to God because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the way to battle unbelief or pride or unbelief of pride is here, here is to stop delighting in self-determination and distance from God and start delighting in God's right to tell you what is best for you. And in the close fellowship he offers those who will draw near in faith. Pride is sinful. There are patterns of pride in our lives. But God's power can overcome our pride. I can tell you many examples of people that are prideful, and I know that you can too. We don't have to look far for that. At times, it is me. There are so many times when the green household would be so much better if I would just humble myself. Your home is probably the same way. When I give examples of myself, I don't want y'all to think that I'm the worst guy in the world. But we are prideful at times. And I do know a lot of hard-hearted, hard-headed, prideful people. But you know what I also know? I also know some people who have been so humbled by the power and grace of God that they honestly and truly are just not the way they used to be. Jesus has changed their lives. I know people where you used to say, man, if if, if that would have happened to him 10 years ago, you would have gotten a totally different response. But the power of God is breaking down their pride. They are willing to say, God have mercy on me. Life's about God, not about me. Folks, when we start talking about what I tell y'all a lot, that For people 
who don't go to church and don't read the Bible, the only thing they know about God is what they see in people who talk about him or claim him. They don't go to church, they don't read the Bible, so all of their thoughts or understanding or opinions about God come from those who talk about God or claim him. Right or wrong, fair or not, that's the way it is. He hates pride. I read to you today many passages, God hates pride. He is killing the Edomites because their refusal to turn to God. May it not be of anybody in your home, on your street, at your job that knows that you went to church this day, that knows that you claim the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of you. He or she is just so prideful. They don't want to change. They don't ever admit they're wrong. They're never gracious. They're never understanding. May that not be the case. For while we may tell them of God or tell them of church or tell them that we pray or this or that, our pride is so strong they can't hear anything else. May we hear God's message in Obadiah. Edom is too prideful. And so God will destroy them. And even Edom at the end will be where God reigns. May that be us today. Break down my pride, God, that I would submit to you. I realize it's past 12. I realize the sermons are long. But we need to deal with our pride. We do. Our children need it big time. Before you leave, Bow your head. Pray to God that he would break down your pride. If you are man enough or woman enough or bold enough, say, God, forgive me for being so prideful. Humble my soul that I may cling to Jesus. Men, and I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, I promise. Men, our wives, are hoping so much that we're listening today. And I don't know if our children get it enough, but they want so badly for us to get it today. Don't let it keep going. Let's deal with it. Father in heaven, thank you for the book of Obadiah and this message on pride. God, may it never be said of our households and our marriages and our parenting and our families and our neighborhoods and of the 40118 or of South Louisville, God, may it never be said, man, they're always that way and they're never going to change. God, make us a broken people calling out our pride to you that you would be ever changing us. Father, there are people here today that need to turn from their pride give them strength to do it in Jesus name we pray amen